Welcome to the Macrofab Engineering Podcast. We are your guests, Brandon Knight. And Justin Knight. And we're your hosts, Parker Doman. And Stephen Craig. <laughs> <laughs> so this is episode number 42. 42. So we got uh, uh, two of the uh, two of our Macrofab buddies here. The Knight Brothers. The Knight Brothers, Brandon Knight and Justin Knight. What's up? So uh, let's uh, let's start with you, Justin. Um, says here on the sheet that you're vice president of operations. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. Uh, I'm like my brother from Connecticut. We've uh, slowly been moving southward for over the past few years. Um, I have been working in all kinds of different things. I was a bartender. I worked in nonprofits. Um, I, uh, a few years ago, quit my job and uh, made some video games, and that's what kind of got me into technology. I always was kind of a technology hobbyist, but never really as an occupation until that. Uh, Doing that, I was able to get into a career in modeling and simulation, research type stuff. I worked at Vanderbilt University and started a company from there. I joined Macrofab this summer in July and am really excited to be working a little more hands-on and not kind of at a computer so much. So what did you think of Houston in July? Uh, Compared it's, to- it's a good bump up from Nashville. Uh, <laughs> it, it's significant, so... Yeah, it's uh, it's cool. Uh, you know, it's I think more than anything, it's a big city, so it has all the cool things that come with a city. It's got kind of one of everything at least, and uh, I kind of like that. Nashville is a little bit more small in that sense. Nashville's a super cool place, but um, Houston has this kind of mega city thing that I I enjoy as well. Specifically, conveyor belt sushi. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. So, so yeah, Brandon, same thing. Yeah, I, um, let's see. Basically, whatever job Justin could get me from college to uh, now, I have taken. <laughs> so <laughs> that includes working uh, at the nonprofit. We worked at the Urban League mm-hmm. in Hartford. There's um, one in Houston. Yep. And uh, started a bike shop, which was pretty cool. Um I then worked, uh, I moved to Colorado and worked um, at a boarding school in the mountains, uh, helping at-risk youth um, at an alternative school. It was really awesome. And then I moved down to Denver and did dropout prevention, so helping freshmen who and sophomores um, getting bad grades, not going to school, making sure they came to school and did well. Um, and then Justin got me a job at Vanderbilt. I was a, kind of a project manager, program coordinator, um, and we then worked together at a startup that came out of Vanderbilt and I was in charge of kind of getting some of our boards made and that's how I came across Microfab. and it was actually Justin's idea to, he's like, why don't you go check out that company and maybe see if you can go out there for a month and, you know, we'll support you and just kind of find out what happens on the other side of manufacturing. We were doing design, so, um, contacted Chris, our CEO and, he was like, you can't visit, but if you want to apply for a job, you can do that. So I did that and <laughs> worked out. And then I got Justin to come along. So, so uh, Brandon Knight is our director of customer success. So if, if, you, uh, if you call up Macrofab, there's a very good chance you're going to be 
talking to him. And I know we've had guests on the on the past that have mentioned Brandon because he's been kind of our main point of contact with a lot of their projects. He's the outside world. Right, right. He's the voice. Mm-hmm. Um, so how long have you been on board with MacFab? Um, July of 2015, so. Over a year and a half now. Yeah. So, so previous to this, both of you guys were working together, right? So we actually always work together. <laughs> oh, really? Did you yeah, work at that boarding school? Did you work in Colorado? Uh, that was uh, for public allies, and I was working in the D.C. office. Gotcha. And he, yeah, I, I kind of knew all the other branches, and the, the Colorado one just seemed super cool. And we kind of did some work on the back end to get them in. And, mm-hmm. Yeah, so. We started working together at a deli in yeah. our hometown in Connecticut. And you know what? This job is kind of the same basic premise. <laughs> PCBs uh, sandwiches. Yeah, PCB lunch sandwiches. meats or resistors. The, the, yeah, the, the, the pieces go together, then yeah. it goes in the oven. The mustard's right? the paste. That's right. Yeah, Customers they, they, angry, they don't have their thing yet. <laughs> You're you late on their sandwich. <laughs> yeah, got to get them out fast. You put, you put the wrong May meat on, on the mustard. sandwich. Yeah. Yep. Same thing. And so, Justin, you're the oldest, right? That's right. And Brandon, you're somewhere in between? Or are you the youngest? Number three, yeah. Num- number out three of four. out of four. Cool, cool. So, um, Justin, the vice president of operations, what, is it, uh, what, what does a day look like for you at MacroFab? What, what, <laughs> what do you do? So I oscillate between sort of strategy and process work and firefighting. And I try to start the day in the more strategic sense, and then usually it just devolves into a, a war zone. And, <laughs> um, you know, so the company's doing really great. We're really busy, and that all has to come through operations. And you know, we're a pretty lean team, and so so we are around the clock cranking out boards, trying to keep up. So you, so you, you're taking the lead on making sure everything gets out on time, with the right quality, and uh, and the way the customer wants it. That's a pretty big role. Yeah, and also you know spearheading development, making sure all uh, you know operations has the right software they need and all that stuff too. Right. So it's a, it's a big role. So so um, you know I have more of a software background than manufacturing background. Uh, I, I worked in software that that tied into manufacturing, but not so much uh, hands-on manufacturing. My my relevant experience is I have a wood shop back in Tennessee, and my father is a an electrician, and I worked with him <laughs> a lot. And so it's really just kind of taking a technology approach. We're trying to deploy a more ambitious operation that that has a lot more customer transparency and higher technology and uh it is my job to deploy that strategic vision sure sure yeah well since since macrofab has the whole system the interface system that a customer utilizes when they when they uh, log into our site there's a ton of stuff that goes in the back uh that that happens after a customer press presses order and handling that and managing that and making sure it flows right is a huge task. And, and on top of that, Macrofab has developed all of that in-house. Uh, so, so being able to see the vision and, and future for that, it's, uh, it's not something that, that just happens overnight for sure. 
Do you know what sucks about manufacturing? What's that? If you get one thing wrong, all the good work you did <laughs> leading up to it and after is almost invalidated yeah. because one thing wrong, one missing part, one manufacturing defect, and all the process, all the sort of getting the right people together, it, it, it stops. And so you kind of have to execute perfectly. Mm-hmm. And that's why you see the way a lot of modern manufacturing is it's automated, it's very rigid. Um, it, you know, in software, you're kind of able to fake it a bit. <laughs> you're able to kind of hard code things or you're able to kind of engineer it for the demo and get to the point where it feels like it's working the whole time until it actually is working. Yeah, backdoor a lot of stuff. If you stub your toe, you're done. And that's been a big adjustment for me. Sure. Yeah, yeah. hardware is it's 100% or zero. Right. There's no in-between. It's it's the most brutal test you'll ever take in your life. Well, it's it's even above and beyond that because you could have an order that a customer has where, where say, they, they wanted 10, 10 units – and nine of them are flawless, and one of them has one issue. To to the customer's eyes, the entire order has an issue, yeah. even though you got you got you know way way close. So it's it's yeah, it's difficult. Perfection is the and the, the, customer the only says, option. How did this happen? And we're like, well, we messed up. We put it wrong. Wrong. It's like, well, how did this happen? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we you know. suck. I'm sorry. <laughs> And and my sort of hobby is wood, and wood is very forgiving in a sense. Like you know, as long as you don't crack it, you can kind of convince bend it, it and play with it, and you can do a lot. Like glue and sanding yeah. does amazing things. You can cover oh, up yeah. a lot, and it you know it's like perfectly imperfect wood. But you know, so do you ever do this? Uh, I, oh, that's, I, called, I totally, no, that's called artisan. Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, so I have I have an issue. Like I'll, I'll be out I'll be out searching for furniture with a wife or something like that, and I'll totally be the guy who's looking at joints and things like that, and seeing where a guy mixed sawdust and glue together, kind of patch yeah. up a little hole, and I will notice that. And I, I don't have a problem with those kind of things because I'm like, I know you. I I've done that. I've been you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's uh, that's right. I think I'm, uh, you know, through experience, very forgiving of things like that, and especially in software. Um, I think you see like on the internet or with things with if like a game comes out and it has bugs like people destroy it and it's like <laughs> man making software without bugs is so hard you know so yeah. oh yeah, yeah we yeah. we kind of uh Brandon and I and Brandon ran a a beta test for software that uh was kind of never going to work and <laughs> it was really it was a really hard job to kind of you know, I think that's why he's really good for this job is that he, you know, he, he's he's taken a beating on on these kinds of projects before. So he's he's immune to the to that sort of thing of, you know, customers being harsh with him and stuff like that. Sure. So, so Brandon, what experience because you're, you're a customer success at Microfab. So what experience do you grab from, you know, previous jobs like at the deli? Yeah. Were you like the cashier? Well, well, first thing, we went customer success because customer satisfaction had a weird connotation to it. So. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, Wait, there's no like checkbox if we're happy ending, right, on MacroFed? Oh, geez. Yeah. Well, in, the, in, in, that, in that sense, customer service has also got a weird kind of oh, feel to right. it. So, uh, <laughs> um, yeah, I, I think for me, all of my jobs um, have the, the common theme is dealing with um, uh, 
a customer in some way. Even doing dropout prevention, you know, you're trying to get a student to do something. You're trying to get them to go to school, do their homework, um, dealing with, you know, dealing with the government at Vanderbilt doing beta testing. And it's what you learn. What I've learned, the biggest thing, I guess, is um, anytime you push back in any way or resist what the person's trying to tell you, you're just going to add fuel to the fire. The best approach is to be as empathetic as possible and um, just just fix it. Just get it right. And um, I think, you know, I think that's a complicated thing with going overseas for manufacturing is there's a language barrier. Sometimes um, you might, my experience is, like, if I've complained to a Chinese company, it's just I'm completely misunderstood. Um, it's you get kind of in a position where uh, you just feel like the, the, the root issue is not resolved in any way. So that's what really I try to focus on. It's just like, totally get it. Your board was late. This part was on wrong, whatever. Um, on us or not even like, I'm not looking for fault. I'm just looking like, how can we make sure this isn't, isn't fixed? Our customers are really smart. A lot of them are engineers first. Um, they, they never really are looking to point blame. They just want to know what happened and how can we make sure this doesn't happen again? Sure. And, um, yeah, being direct and honest. Yeah, is, and, and is we're fantastic not in that. exactly like Justin was saying. We try to be transparent with our customers, both on our interface. Um, we're working on that more and more, and in our customer success department, um, we don't try to hide anything. We try to really meet them um, in a way where we're giving them the information they need to know what design changes they need to make. Sometimes it is their fault. Sometimes it's on us. Um, but there is something they may, could communicate to us the next time in their PCB notes that would get to our line operators and make sure that that part gets placed correctly. I mean, hardware, there's just a lot that can go wrong, we've learned. And um, there's never enough communication to make sure that thing gets built correctly. Oh, yeah. A every single part on that board could go wrong. Yeah. There could be an issue with every single part. There could be an issue with the board itself. I mean, we, we, we had a customer um, a few weeks ago who uh, he, he placed a fairly sizable order with us, and he actually came in to kind of um, review the order and uh, got to the boards. Uh, they were all finished, and the boards didn't work. He ends up looking at his, uh, his design files and saw a mistake on, on the inner layers of, of the boards, and it was just, oh, well, you know, kind of have, have to restart. I mean, there can be issues in every possible uh, aspect of it, which makes it that much harder. Yeah, yeah. The the hard and hardware. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure that's where it came from. Yeah, sure. <laughs> so so Justin, great, uh, great jokes on the podcast, by the way. We're working on them. <laughs> uh, Brandon's always busting our chops all day long, all day long. Um, Justin, you you uh, you were saying you had a bit of experience with software in the past. Uh, so you had some experience working for Google, right? That's right. So. Um, so we started a company, and our first customer was Google. And it was, uh, if you guys remember this Project Aura modular cell phone, actually it was just in the news maybe like a month or two ago because it was finally killed off. Yeah, we actually <laughs> yeah. mentioned that on the podcast. Uh -huh. We oh, talked about it oh, okay. a long time ago, and then Motorola came out with a like kind of similar thing. 
They use like backplanes that you like plug into your phone. Yeah, like the hackable phone or something. Yeah, like that. and I saw a Kickstarter that was a case that would attach these things, and um, so so you know th- th- this is kind of the the notion going into it is Apple has this phone that's this singular beautiful thing, and all these companies are just losing competition with them so google's going to go the complete opposite way and do the phone that can be anything you want it to be and it it did have this uh standardized backplane and what they wanted to do was create a an app store for hardware where people would sell their modules on this store and other people would buy them and plug them into their phone so these things would be like um you know a pollution sensor or a different infrared camera or uh, different types of displays so there's like a hiker one that had like an e-ink display so the battery would last for like six weeks and Hmm. um different battery type configurations and things like that um and it was very ambitious because you know a phone still has to do the things a phone does and to have uh modular hardware you know you're going to lose performance. You know you're going to lose battery life. So uh, that was the big challenge. So our job was to create design tools to allow people to design hardware for this kind of uh, ecosystem marketplace. Yes, yeah, and um, and it was really cool. We so so we effectively created a tool to design electronics on, and. Uh, we we did our job, but um, we had a lot of challenges. One, you know, the modules were really small. It was um, 20 millimeter by 20 millimeter, 20 millimeter by 40 millimeter, and 40 by 40. So those hmm. were, there was three sizes. They're all really small. So if you want sort of, you wanted like the wider audience to be designing electronics for this, you needed to... Uh, that that skill level was really high yeah and uh so what we we kind of came up with the concept of we would model uh sub circuits that were fully designed and allow the person to kind of add those pieces so it would be like oh i need a an accelerometer well they would pull our the accelerometer from our component library and, and put it in and it would be fully kind of optimized hmm. and and then kind of like lego blocks yeah like lego blocks and kind of like um and we would have all this sort of interfacing would ha- would be done for them. Uh, so it was a super cool project, and we got to kind of hang out at Google and meet a lot of cool people. They spent a lot of money on it. They uh, our company made a lot of money off it, but um, uh, ultimately they they really couldn't get past the battery life and the performance. Mm. And you know, I don't know. I, I think there might have been questions about. Um, what is it that you actually want to do with these hardware pieces that you can't do with software? Because you can do a ton of shit with software. Yeah. And, a, you know, an, an iPhone or everyone's phone in your pocket does a ton of things. So um, those extra things, were they the type of thing that a person was willing to to buy this kind of complicated phone? So, you know, it's kind of a bummer that they that it didn't work out. I see they have a new phone out now, but it's more like an iPhone clone thing. Yeah, it's almost exactly like iPhone. I got yeah. one right here. Yeah, the Pixel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but it was a cool, cool experience. But but Google's into doing 
those those just experiments. They're they're way into putting money into like Moonshots. what happens if you do this. That's right. That's right. Uh, yeah, and that that was really really cool. They um, so we uh, what they had did they created Google ATAP, which uh, still exists, and it's advanced technologies and products, mm-hmm. and they. They followed a a DARPA-style model. They hired a bunch of DARPA people to do it. And the DARPA style is you hire kind of the best in the industry for short-term periods, and you you bring them together to work on a project. So there is a sort of central group, but they are always recruiting kind of like, you know, university folks and companies and things like that to come together and and develop a project. So it's a big team in that sense, so got to meet meet some cool people and 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 do some cool things but uh yeah yeah phone never kind of worked out um aura was actually one of the guy's names the 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 kind of lead me on the project was his name was aura hmm. and so they named it after him and 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 i remember talking to him and being like you think that's cool and he's like no because like Every time the phone doesn't work, people are going to be like, ah, this stupid Aura. You know, like, everyone's going to be cursing his name all the time. So he was a little uh, disappointed about that. But, yeah, almost there, that project. But it got our company going. It certainly did that. And, and uh, you know, that company's uh, macro, uh, Metamorph is still in business. And uh, they have a lot of cool customers doing different types of modeling and simulation projects for them. What, what are they doing now? Uh, so... Let's see. So we had customers like Oshkosh, uh, not the overalls, but the um, the the heavy equipment, uh, which is that was a that's a really cool company. Uh, Raytheon missiles and satellites. Um, uh, we 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 did some work for DARPA. We did some work for NASA. Um, there's some other ones, but. You know, a lot, a lot of kind of, yeah, a lot, a lot of big stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah a lot of really challenging problems. Um, you know, these these big companies, their systems get more and more complicated, right? Oh yeah. And the um, the the need to try and simulate and model it before you build it grows as the complexity grows. But the challenge of doing that is even harder. Um, you know, some companies. You know, a lot of companies are in this sort of concept design phase, and they want to do it all via computer, but uh, it's just a really challenging problem. Mm. Um, you know, one thing that I, I saw we uh, worked with Caterpillar, the one thing that they did that was r- interesting is they had a more ground-up modeling philosophy where they would model the way the oil sloshed around in the engine, and then they would start modeling that subsystem of the engine, then model the engine based on that. And they would take all those inputs and kind of keep expanding it out and then use that knowledge base to then do their modeling, wow. which, which you have an advantage because they have existing stuff. Whereas if you're trying to come up with something totally out there, it's, uh, it's, it's just a lot harder to do. Yeah, but that's like super either in-house developed or ultra custom just for them software. Yeah. That's, yeah, yeah. I, I worked at um, I worked at a uh, uh, utility provider in Texas um, a while back, and they had so much pr- proprietary software. Uh, and I mean, they had they had a few thousand transformers, um, big you know five hundred kVA transformer kind of stuff, and uh, they had software that would just determine like 
how much oil to put inside of this transformer. And it was this software package that they spent like $100,000 for some guy to develop it. And it, and it just told, and, and, and you just put in some, some values and it just said three tons of oil or so, you know, something like that. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. They, uh, a lot of these companies are, are vicious about their secrets. Um, and even when they're buying off the sh- shelf software, they are generally customizing it dramatically. So, you know, the kind of anecdote we always kind of knew about was, um, Boeing has more lines of code in Katia than the base of, of actually Katia, the, the CAD software that they use to design their planes. So, mm-hmm. you know, they've extended it so much that it's, it's more, it's more complex than even, you know, the original thing. So <laughs> kind of crazy. Awesome. Yeah. So I, we mentioned last week that there was a maker fair here in Houston. Oh uh, yeah. Um, I know Brandon made it out. Mm-hmm. Um, Justin, did you make it out? No, I, I worked. <laughs> I worked at. Uh, I, I was at. I was at the Fab with yeah, Justin, we, we so I out. also worked. Yeah, yeah. that's right. Because I, I went on. Yeah. <laughs> I went on Sunday. Brandon was there on Saturday, Saturday right? Yeah. So how was that, Brandon? Uh, it was pretty cool. Uh, it was different than last year. I think they switched to two day format. Last year was one day and. Um, Last year I was like a little less organized, but also a little more crazy, which I kind of liked. Um, but there were some cool booths this year. I talked to a guy from Salina, Kansas, who um, takes old suitcases, like the bright orange ones that are plastic, mm-hmm. and turns them into basically speakers um, that you can load up music from your phone via Bluetooth. It's awesome. Yeah, that was a cool one. And he he's like a retired electrician who... Um, is doing this, and uh, there's a few other stations that are pretty cool. Um, One thing that was really neat is, like, all the the local Houston um, hardware companies have used us at, like, some point or another to do prototypes or even a little more. I see a lot of red boards. (laughs) Yeah, I see a lot of red boards. Uh, That was pretty cool to see how we're, like, so involved in the hardware Houston community. That's really great. Do you yeah. guys feel like the whole world is trying to get you to buy a Bluetooth speaker? <laughs> <laughs> uh, a little bit. So much so that they're even in suitcases now. You need it. You just yeah. have to have You one. have to have that. <laughs> That's right. I like plugging stuff in. I don't know. I like the tactile feel of that. No. So you're not a big touchscreen fan then, huh? Uh, not so much. I Especially... The reflow of it at work? Yeah, it's okay. Uh, <laughs> that thing's a piece of junk. It's, yeah. it's so slow. You I press like the button buttons. and it responds like five seconds later. <laughs> yeah. it's. I think it's they're even worse like when they're in cars or uh, when they, you know, where they don't belong. My TV has like a touch screen on off and it, it sucks. Oh, oh, my wife's car. Parker can attest to this because yeah. he's, he's, he's rode in my wife's car. Sometimes I take it to work. It it has the touch the touchscreen. It's a it's a uh, Hyundai Tucson, and when when you first start the car, it pulls up like a warning message, and it's like please drive safe, and it gives you like instructions on how to drive safe, and you have to press accept on this thing, it, it, like you have to tell it I'm going to drive safe or safely whatever, uh, and and here's the thing, it will not allow you to access anything on the radio. Uh, until you press accept. Now, here's, here's where it gets stupid, and this is a design thing that is just absolutely bugs the hell out of me. So if you had the radio on previously, and you had it to, 
I don't know, something, whatever, even just static, it will pull that on when you start the, the, the car the next time. It'll go to that radio station. You can't change anything until you press accept. Uh. Now, here's the thing. You're normally in a parking spot. The very first thing you do is go in reverse. If you go in reverse, it switches to the, the reverse cam. And then you can't access anything at all. So if you had your radio on super, like, ultra loud blaring, and now it's static, you can't do anything until you go to park and then accept that you're going to drive well, then you can change the radio. Yeah, even the knob's locked out. There's a volume knob, and it's locked out. You can't adjust the volume. Yeah, you, can't, you cannot turn it off either. You can't turn the radio off. Terrible design choice. So, so one thing with cars is they it takes so long for them to actually get a car out on the road that, yeah. like... You know, technology changes so fast. By the time it's out there, the technology is already getting old, and and so I, I worry when it's really ambitious in a car where it's like that, all these buttons and things. Oh yeah, in fact, Parker and I were talking about uh, how soon is it till we get um, self-driving cars? And I'm ta- and I know we have some self-driving cars, but how soon is it till that's like a regular thing? That such that it's not like, you know, you look down the road and you're like, oh, that's a self-driving car. You know, until until we're past that point. I saw something that said like in three years they'll be, or in four years there'll be ten thousand on the road. So it seems like it's. I still it's haven't imminent. seen one that the report says they can drive in the rain. Hmm. Yeah. You know, but what you were saying before though reminded me of in high school. My friend had a Pontiac Bonneville, and <laughs> uh, the tape player, uh, the, or no, the the radio broke. The volume got turned all the way up and then snapped off. So the volume was permanently all the way on. So he had to have a blank tape in the tape player all the time. And it was just like, <laughs> like whenever he was driving. Was, he had to record the quietest he, thing ever. He on just had tape. a blank tape. And then everyone's trying to hear the auto flip. Like, <laughs> <laughs> pretty good. I like how that's his solution. That's the analog of, version. Yeah. Of, yeah. I like how that's his solution to fixing it instead of just like actually fixing the knob. No, just blank tape. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just like a little hiss. No, no music. Amazing. I'm all for a self-driving car, though. I mean, I I personally think 20 years. And uh, give it 20 years, huh? and we will. And 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 the majority of people will just be like, yes, I'm okay with self-driving cars. Yeah, commuting would be nice. What do, you, do you think this is interesting? So self-driving cars, it's going to predictably go that the first self-driving cars are going to be more expensive, right? Of course. Yeah. So you're going to have this situation where a person in a junky car crashes into someone in an expensive self-driving car, and you're going to have this, like, class conflict. Of like, <laughs> I just wonder if that's, like, going to be a thing of, of you well, know. It's, it's like how if there's a... Um, if you're on a one-way road and there's like a family walking across the road, what does a self-driving car do? Does it try to stop? But it's not going to be. If it can't stop fast enough, does it try to swerve? And that no, could, you, you know, know it and, just speeds up and plows through. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you run over the the, the father and mother. But yeah, I not think the kids. I think it was. Right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, it does. I think calc- it was. It doesn't. It doesn't. Uh, you know, has it's like there are algorithms yeah, for yeah. this. Prime Directive One. Yeah. You know, <laughs> save the passenger. Yeah. The, Prime yeah. Directive Two. Run over little children. I mean, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they commented that line out of the code. Yeah. The one with the biggest head. Well, it's just basic <laughs> actuarial kind of, you know, more life to live. So you save the kids. Yeah, th- these are all data points that they need to gather in order to update the algorithms. This of podcast took a dark turn. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh. Well, shoot, yeah, they, they, 
Good for RFO? Yeah, I think RFO time. Our RFO is uh, rapid-fire opinions where we pose just some kind of interesting project or thought or idea, and it's supposed to be rapid. It usually doesn't turn out to be rapid, and we're, we try to give opinions, but sometimes it just turns into rants. So. Sounds lame. That's RFO. Yeah, it sounds super lame, doesn't it? <laughs> yes, really lame. Um, real, real effing opinions. Yeah. <laughs> um, so we talk about this a lot as IoT, and we've talked about the FART tower. And so this is kind Which of was relevant. at the uh, at the at Maker Fair. Unfortunately, they could not get it working. Really? Yeah, they didn't have a uh, USB power thingy for it. Oh, okay. Well, they took it. They did take it though. Um, so, anyways, this is a similar idea. It's a um, uh, the Internet of Farts. So it's a device that records the VOC particles that can come out of your body, um, but it also uh, integrates with um, basically what kind of food you eat and what time and location. So it's like geocaching your farts. <laughs> really? Yeah. J- J- Justin, I like that you're like, oh, yes, this, this, this well, sounds great. Sometimes something happens where you're just like, the fuck I've got that? six weeks to live, right? Like That's, <laughs> <laughs> that's a problem. <laughs> yes. I'd like some data on that. Yeah. So, so th- this thing actually gives locations and and I mean, what other data does it? It, it, um, it tracks your food. Well, no, you, so you can input what kind of food you eat. Yeah, and so you can track like, oh yeah, burritos actually do make you fart more. Hmm. You know, it, it, oh, so so this thing could take two turns. It, it actually sounds like it's something that you could make useful yeah. uh, for actually gathering good data or just fun. Yeah, I think it's both. Probably more towards the fun size. When in college in the dorms, um, me and my roommate, we wore, uh, you know, headphone sets on our kind of like cod pieces. So like one goes over your junk and one goes over your butt, and we would we would hook that into the to our stereo, which was really loud, and we could we could like rock the floor. But we were always trying to figure out ways to, you know, get get more out of our system. So this would have been really useful for us. <laughs> I think the big question is how involved is the female audience with this? Like, either they secretly want to know this or they want nothing to do with this. Right? Let's, let, let's be honest. This is, this is a, an engineering, an electrical engineering podcast. Uh, I'm just going out on a limb here because I don't have any actual hard data. But, but our female listenership is probably uh, slim to none. Yeah, I, I was, you know, I say uh, like at last place we worked, there's more guys named Mike than girls, you know. <laughs> right. Which I mean, the biggest thing. That's true with Chris at our place. Yeah, yeah. It, you know, if you are a female engineer, you got your own bathroom. It's pretty sweet. <laughs> <'Cause>, <laughs> That's true. Because if you work in an engineering place with guys, it's like a, it's like a bus station in there. I mean, it's it's <laughs> a not pretty. Bus station. <laughs> It's not pretty. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, we upgraded now with the new building. Yeah, we have two bathrooms that have multiple stalls in them. Yeah. Yep. You guys use the women's room? Or? Well, uh, for a while there was a sign that said Brandon's office on it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, cool. Cool project. Yeah. 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 Thumbs up. All right. So topic two. Real quick. All right. Go ahead. The more interesting thing is, like, who's got the most powerful farts, right? 
And if there was it like can a do that, yeah, it can measure versus, be, like sound, smell. I don't know if it does sound, but it can definitely overall power, smell. toxicity, yeah, power, intensity. Like that is something I'd be kind of interested in. That it can do, it can do the amount of particles in the air. So, although but the sound would be good, I need sound. Person who wears it, that belt doesn't need to measure. You know what I mean? <laughs> they know what if, if you put this in like a frat house. I mean, the thing would just break yeah. in, in, in how, how off the charts it would go. Hmm. Be interesting. Yeah. All right, I'm ready to throw up. We're going to bump it. Yeah, let's do yeah. Next topic. Next topic. Okay. <laughs> uh, earlier this week, um, Indiegogo, which is a crowdsourcing company, they partnered up with Micro Ventures, which are taking advantage of the new SEC rulings on basically who can invest in what. Um. Uh, last year or in before then, the only person that could invest in the company was someone that was actually had that classification of an investor. Mm. Like you had to have the right SEC rulings. Like you had to make a certain amount of income. Uh, you can only invest X amount of dollars, which is a percentage of your income, and blah blah blah, lots of stuff like that. Basically, they made a new classification. So, um. Basically, you know, average Joe can now invest in any company that he wants. Um, so, basically, not just rich white guys. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so well, do you think uh, these investments, like, couldn't they just be like for backers, like, you know, so, if we contribute this much, one percent of the company? Well, that's kind of well, that's, that's how yeah, it is. It kind of is. Um, yeah. Because right now or before it was. You were backing a product being built, but now you're backing a company being formed. Like the most successful Kickstarters and stuff like that were, were like let's say like Oculus, who actually created a company out of the crowd supply or crowdfunding. Um, so I guess this is kind of like, you know, skipping the product step as you're you're funding a company. This seems like the category of the high risk, high reward investments, right? Yeah, well, that's actually one thing is the um, it's, it's capital investment and, and venture capitalists. Is, that's like one of the worst kind of investments you can in terms of return. Yeah, there's not a lot of actual investment fund or, or capital venture funds that like actually do well. Yeah, and so now you're giving average Joe the keys to do this. You know, most of them are probably going to lose their money. Well, you, you got the issue of this guy who may not have all of his ducks in a row, he, but he wants to start this this big company with big ideas, and that's fantastic. And and this is giving him the ability to start by selling parts of a company that doesn't even exist, or just the ideas. Not, well, the idea is not sound enough to just get traditional VC funding, right? Which is why he might not have gotten VC funding. Yes. Uh, so, so it's dangerous, uh, like you were saying, Justin. This, this is, yeah, this would be high risk. Uh, so, whoever you know partakes in this, you know, it, it would it would be wise to be prudent about how your your you know how your money's moving around yeah. and uh, where you're putting it. But uh, but it is pretty cool that that you know now the option exists. If if I do have a cool idea and it may not be super. Uh, I don't know. Uh, it may not. It may not look well to a VC. It's not well developed. On yeah, paper. You, but yeah, but now there's there's another option. You know. That. 
it would be interesting. You always see the top reward for like Kickstarters and stuff. It's like, we'll fly you out and take you to dinner. <laughs> yeah. But it was like 20 grand to be like a seat on our board. Like that would be, I think, kind of intriguing. Yeah. I mean, I mean no one ever gets that top prize, I think. I've seen it very rarely. Yeah. You have to really, really like what's going on. Yeah. But, but I mean, yeah, yeah. Paying to have a seat on a board. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean, that's what, that's what happens. <laughs> that's I, I, how it happens. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's, it's gambling, right? And I think it's a, I think it's a good, I, I won't, I'll put it this way. It's, it's people should be allowed to spend the money however they want. Yeah. Um, so it's a good thing about that. Um, I'm just hoping, which won't happen because most people, you know, just, you know, will invest in Kickstarter and stuff like that on projects that are obviously going to fail. But I'm hoping that people are smart enough to invest wisely in, in these companies. Um, I think the cup, there's like an MMORPG company. That's one of the first ones. There's a bar. Or is it a distillery? I can't remember. Distillery and cocktail bar. Yeah. I mean, I think the big issue with crowdfunding is like making sure the company actually delivers. And I wonder if this helps that in any way because that just seems to be the thing that hasn't been solved i know kickstarter is working hard to like come up with different policies and give like more protection to backers but i don't know if they've still cracked it yet where someone could just buy a house with the money and <laughs> <laughs> well okay so that also up. brings up an interesting thing um how does how does the I'm, i don't know if anyone here would even know the answer to this but the the legal side of things, you know, if if you're looking for an investment to start a business, and let's say you get an investment from I don't know four individuals or something like that, they each give you two hundred and fifty thousand dollars. You know, you got a, you got a million dollars, but so so th that makes the the paperwork and the legal side of things potentially a li a, a bit easier because you're working with four individuals, blah blah blah. What if you get that million dollars from three hundred thousand different people? You know, how does that work? Does that just make it that much more difficult? And then what happens if you go belly up and you owe 300,000 different people cash? You know, like that's where it starts to get really I, sticky. I wonder if they would treat it like stock options where you have to own a certain percentage of stock and then you you have a voice in what, you know, at those like big uh, meetings that those companies have. So, so, so effectively, this is just making stock market 2.0. I bet all of this is you can invest and you have no say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm going to bet you that's what it is. Yeah. What I'm saying is, like, if, you, if you're 1%, then, yeah. then you have a say. You might not be on the board, but you can say, like, hey, you know, I don't like that thing. Yeah. Who knows? Well, here's the thing. It's already hard enough to successfully fund a project if you're promising to deliver something to somebody. Think of how much harder it is to fund a huge business when the result is that the business just becomes something, you know? If you're not getting anything in return, no one's going to give you money. So you have to, you have, to have some kind of buy-in in some way. I'd do it. Yep. I think it's cool. I'd invest in it. If I, you know, I mean, if and I was a company that you thought was a good idea. Yeah, yeah. I was like, or, or maybe their motives were more altruistic. It's something I believe in, like. Yeah, what the hell, right? Yeah, give uh, me some cash. If it was climate change or something that was kind of going to help us all, like I think that might be a cool, cool way to go. And I, you know, it's a gamble. If you're going to buy the twenty dollar, you know, IOT 
device Fart detector. Uh, yeah, like you know, you may not get it, right? Right, right. Well, you, yeah. you say that because you understand it, but there's a lot of people out there that they think they're buying something on Kickstarter. Yes. Well, I think the biggest like the reason that stuff works is people look at it and they say, "Hey, I would buy this for this price." I mean, it, it's just regular market kind of economy stuff, right? Yeah. Sure. But the, but but there is the mentality that hey, if I give this money, I will get this. But if you don't get it, you get to self-righteously destroy them on the internet, which is <laughs> worth your twenty bucks, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah that's, like that's every that's, week. Yeah. Longest comment. Yeah. <laughs> Either way, you get something. Right. Right. Okay, yeah. That, that well, YouTube you comment, twenty bucks. Yeah. Right there. <laughs> Satisfaction comes either way. Yeah. <laughs> you get to feel good about being a jerk. <laughs> so, Brandon, would you would you ever do that? Would you ever invest on the company through a Kickstarter like platform? Well, I got like sixty bucks, so. <laughs> well, you can invest sixty dollars in Widget IO. All right. I think I think it's cool. I want to see how it pans out. I want to see if it's even possible. I, I know there's some examples here uh, we're seeing, but but those could just be use cases. Yeah. Uh, I'd li- I'd like to see. You know, is there something? Is there something that really can come out of this? Uh, and is this a new way of investment? Yep. And we'll cool. see. Yeah. It's, All right. It's cool to invest in tangible things, whether it be real estate or like. A, a singular company gold i, I think just kind of like mutual funds is kind of like i don't know something not fun about that sort of thing and that's that's just hedging your bets yeah yeah all right last topic on the rfo um macs don't have replaceable hard drives now go figure yeah i think one of us here is a mac user uh yeah i am i i feel like so I will argue that the best laptop ever made is the MacBook Air. That thing has 10 hours of battery life. It's tiny. It does everything I need it to do. It, it, it kicks ass. But they're not making that anymore. I find more and more I'm getting... I don't know if I'm getting old, but like they're adding features that I don't care about more and more. And, and they're doing... They're kind of doing these things that make me feel a little more alienated now i i almost i wish there was something that could beat some of the things that they've they've got down because i I probably would would go in that different direction i saw this thing um yesterday they're coming out with a book and it's uh it's a a book of sort of high quality photos of all of their devices and um, that's the most circle jerk thing I've ever heard. Yeah, yeah. Well, no, this that is, is really, a total <laughs> Apple move. No, this is <laughs> so. There is a small size for two ninety nine, two hundred ninety nine dollars, and a large size for three hundred ninety nine dollars, which is again such a those guy move. And I, I almost wondered, like that is so ballsy that. Is that an experiment to see how many of their like? It's, it's, is it wrapped in? It's like the 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 book of, of uh, what's the book of the dead in uh, the Necronomicon. Yeah, it's like it's like that, but it's that Steve Jobs face stretched over it. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 but, but like, what do you put that on your coffee table and then like you have a dinner party and people are like, oh, oh, look oh, at this, look at this. This is the, the 1986 Lisa model. Yeah, you know, like see see the difference between the 2012 MacBook. 2013 is a whole half a millimeter thinner. 
<laughs> so you can see it in these two photos. Well, actually, so next year they're going to come out with a new version of the book, and it's going to be Apple Book S, and it's going to have one more picture in it. <laughs> <laughs> but they took an old picture out. Yeah. Yeah, so it still, still has the same amount of pictures. Um, <laughs> so it, it sounds like the, you know, to make stuff smaller, you need to integrate stuff more. I don't know if they're, is this, do they actually put a hard drive in it? And it's just, you can't take the the laptop apart, you know, non-destructively. Or is it actually on the motherboard now? Like a, like your phone, the 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 RAM chips, oh, not the RAM chips, the, uh, they're not ROM. The, the flash. flash. Yeah, the flash. Yeah. The flash is actually on the motherboard of the phone. Is that's how, I don't know if that's how they're doing it, or is it I bet the they don't way? replace a lot of hard drives anyway. I don't, you know, with, it, it well, just. What, I, I'm more worried, but like, let's say you just spill soda on it. Mm. And so you can't boot up your computer anymore. So if it's on the motherboard, you're screwed because you can't get it off. But if it's removable, well, if it's like just an actual hard drive, you can just like take a, you know, a grinder to the back of your MacBook, cut it open and yank <laughs> out the hard drive. <laughs> That's actually one thing I've worried about with like your phone. If you, if your phone stops working completely, you're not going to get any of your data off of it. Yep. Something cloud. Well, well, and yeah, you could you could pay services <laughs> to to back up your data, like five bucks a month or something like that. I don't know. Everything I have, I can find it online. I don't have any data. Yeah, I I see what Mac, what Mac moves to, Apple, Apple. Sorry, Macintosh. Whatever. Uh, so so I I was a Mac user for gosh. A long time. I was a I was a flag bearer for Macintosh. I loved them. They were they couldn't do anything wrong in my opinion. And then I got a Windows, and I really started playing with it. And I was like, oh okay, well yeah, there's no turning back now. But uh, but regardless, I I I see the integration and the ease of use. You just get it. You just use it. It just does what you need it to. You turn it on. You get work done, and you turn it off. And that's yes, that is amazing. Uh, and, and on top of that, it looks nice, it's light, and it doesn't have an ex- a whole bunch of extra bullshit that you don't really care about, and, and that, you know, even if it had this extra thing that you might use one time in the entire life, you just don't care, right? So, like, I get that mentality, but exactly along the lines of what Parker was talking about, where, what happens if we spill coke on it? It's done. And... It's just, it's hard for me to fork out legitimately three times as much as it cost me to make a computer to get the thing that does the same amount of work. Uh, so I don't know. I, I like the ability to access my data, to actually access a physical hard drive somewhere. Just opinion. Yeah. I, 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 I don't know. I think, I bet their audience doesn't doesn't do that, that yeah i bet that you 90 much. no i yeah. think i th- that's my theory with this coffee table book is like are they putting it out there to see because i think a lot of their market is people buying the next version of the thing they already have right so they i, I wonder if they're just trying to test out like how hardcore are fans still because <laughs> you know it, it, it who would buy a book of pictures of iphones and shit i mean <laughs> that's that's I could I just I mean this is total We're gonna stereotyping. We're going to have one listener just, that's going to be unsubscribed now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I can just see some like some like hipster dude in New York who just has that on his coffee table and is really proud of it. So the other thing that drives is, is me nuts. Does it have gold leaf on it? 
I thought it had Steve Jobs' skin on it. Didn't is that what you said? <laughs> uh, both, right? So, uh, so I made I I made an iPhone video game, and we had uh, a really uh, everything. Every decision we made was about performance because uh, at the time it was I don't know 2010. Uh, performance was it you know the amount what a video game could do on a phone was was limited that has gone up so much but the actual performance of your phone has not gone up and i i feel like i don't I, i'm not trying to say it's a conspiracy but they with every new operating system it does seem like you're getting phased out of your older models of phone and i wonder if that's deliberate or if it's justifiable but i do feel like when it upgrades it's always slower and it, the upgrades always are timed with the new hardware so like what's up with that yeah it's probably a little bit of you know column a a little bit of column b yeah it's it's a it's a, it's, it's a conspiracy i guess the one thing sympathetic to say is that it is a really th tough thing for them to do where people are like don't take away anything i like and keep coming out with revolutionary things like iPads and iPhones and Macs. Yeah. I want you to make an iPhone, but better. And, and take away nothing I like about it. Exactly. Right? right. And so it is tricky, but it does feel like, you it's know. It's beyond tricky. <laughs> yeah. that's, that's a hard yeah. thing to deal with. It does feel like post Steve Jobs, though, they have been just iterating on what they do. Right. They haven't really. I mean, I guess a watch, but that doesn't. So the, the I've. The watch had some cool features, but the the whole thing where it, it like I don't know pokes you or vibrates, and you can tie that to someone else's heartbeat. Uh, I don't know. You guys know about that feature? Yeah, that's like creepy. okay. So mm -hmm. you can link it to like your boyfriend or girlfriend's heartbeat, and you could feel their heartbeat on your wrist. That to, when I first heard that, I was like, Steve Jobs would have never done that. <laughs> that is too gimmicky and too kitschy for him. Like that sounds like something Samsung would do. But but uh, but Steve Jobs no. Yeah no. I, I don't. So so in other words, I think we're seeing the uh, the change of the company with his passing. Well, I think you know the person who starts a company is a more is a visionary and a person with an invention. The people who run big companies are are business people and money people and and, and that that's just where a lot of these things go. Sure. I don't like it. That's <laughs> so, my so, RFO. So I was so, like, I want a removable hard drive. Parker's thumb down. I'm thumbs down. What do you guys think? Don't care. To have Brandon doesn't care. <laughs> yeah, I, I guess I'm getting thumbs down on the on the Apple thing in general, but uh, at least the book. Yeah. <laughs> at least the book. Well, I think that was a. I think that's pretty good for episode number 42. Yep. Went quick. Yeah. When you guys want to close? What was that, like six hours? Uh, almost. Go ahead, Justin. Uh, this has been the Macrofab Engineering Podcast, episode 42. Thank you. And the, uh, our guests were? Justin Knight <laughs> and my brother, Brandon Knight. Yep. And we were your hosts, Stephen Craig. <laughs> Parker Doman. <laughs> Thanks a lot, guys. Take it See easy. Ya. Later. First outro ever. <laughs> <laughs>